One of the great challenges in the spiritual life, uh, we might call spiritual dryness. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola called these times of desolation. St. John of the Cross called them a dark night of the soul. The Catechism of the Catholic Church describes spiritual dryness as a season when the heart is separated from God with no taste for thoughts, memories, and feelings, especially spiritual ones. Several years ago, researchers asked a community of uh, monks about their own experience of spiritual dryness. And uh, over half said that they regularly have such seasons. And uh, the researchers said, well, what are some of the causes that trigger spiritual dryness in your life? And here uh, are some of the things that these uh, monks said. Loss of feeling close to God. Disappointment with God. Lack of purpose in life. Self-condemnation. Sadness over members leaving the community. Loss of a life dream. Busyness that distracts from intimate connection with God. Boredom with spiritual practices. Being hurt by other members of the community. Feeling misunderstood by the community. Doubt and uncertainty. Stress and exhaustion. Have any of those triggers created spiritual dryness in your life this year? Churches can also experience seasons of spiritual dryness. Uh, I've seen many signs of spiritual vitality in our community the past two years, but as we emerge from COVID, perhaps we are a bit dry as well, shaking some dust off as we try to get going again. So this Lent, what we're asking is, for God to renew us, how, how God might renew us spiritually, uh, both as a body and individually. And because God's people are often in need of renewal, there are many passages in the Bible that talk about this. And so I, I just chose my five favorites. I chose the, the, the five that I've gone to again and again over the years. Uh, I thought we'd listen to them together. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel's stunning vision of the dry bones is a good place to start with this question, how does God renew his people? You'll find it if you have your Bible in Ezekiel 37, uh, 1 to 14. Ezekiel is a prophet living during the Babylonian exile. Uh, Jerusalem has been sacked. The people of God are living 800 miles away from the home as refugees in Babylon. They are missing their home. They are grieving their dead. They're feeling abandoned by God. And they are about as spiritually dry as a community can be. And God sends a prophet to uh, awaken them. First four verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. 
And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you alone know. So God shows the prophet this valley filled with the bones of the dead. It's as if they'd been slain in a battle and left there. Uh, the prophet wants to emphasize how hopeless the situation is. The bones are very dry. Only God can restore them. And it's a picture of the spiritual condition of Israel. They are as dry as old bones baked in the desert sun. Their faith has suffered in exile. Well, then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over them. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall awake. And I will lay sinews upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So God begins to renew his people through the prophetic word. Prophecy imparts the breath of God into the people of God. Well, as we continue to work through this vision tonight, we're asking the question, what does this teach us about spiritual renewal? And at this point, we kind of have an interpretive decision to make. And it also is one of the things we talk about is we call it consensual orthodoxy, this belief that you know, we hold firmly to the core as expressed in the creed. We live under the authority and inspiration of all of scripture, but we understand good Christians can disagree on broader points of, of scripture and theology. And this is an area where good Christians disagree. Many Christians do not believe that the gift of prophecy is active in the church today. And so if, if that's where you start, then you read a passage like this one, and if you're asking what brings about renewal, well, you'd probably want to move towards something like uh, the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God brings renewal. And I, I read a, a wonderful sermon, or part of a wonderful sermon on that, taking that approach this week. Other Christians, and I'm one of them, uh, do believe that the gift of prophecy is active in the church today. And so if, if that's your theological framework, and in all souls, we're free to disagree. If that's your theological framework, I think we come away with a principle from this vision that goes something like this. Just as God renewed Israel through the prophetic word, God still renews his people today through the prophetic word. God renews his people through the prophetic word. Now let me take a moment um, just to review why some Christians believe the gift of prophecy is for today. Uh, I can send this to you later if you want to look up these texts. The prophets promised that the gift of prophecy would be given to the church today. Peter said that this prophecy was being fulfilled on the day the church was born. Prophets were active in the early church. Paul says that Christ gives prophets to the church to build her up. Paul encourages us to prophesy. Paul warns the church not to stifle prophecy. 
And let's take just a minute to go a little bit more into that from 1 Corinthians 14. And one of the things that we find in the Bible is that the gift of prophecy functions differently in the New Testament than it does in the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about that. Just a couple of things. First of all, Paul says we should earnestly desire this gift. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The primary purpose of this gift is to encourage and build up. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Prophetic words are supernaturally revealed insights that give glory to God and encourage one another. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And then lastly, prophetic words must be tested and they're not authoritative like scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So I want to continue to work this out with you. And what I'm suggesting to you is that one way to read this passage is that one of the ways God renews his people today is through the prophetic ministry. Now let's see what happens. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and the flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we're cut off. So prophesy, say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'll open your graves. I'll raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Well, notice that the prophecy has two parts. The first stage, the, the, all the scattered bones kind of come together and, and they become you know, a group again, and then the Holy Spirit breathes on them and they become an army and are once again able to fulfill their purpose, their role in the world. 
And a, a, a preacher uh, preaching on this made the point that the reformation of the community comes before the renewing and filling of the Spirit. In other words, the first thing that has to happen is uh, the, the, the kind of the, the, they have to be gathered back together again, and then the Spirit is given them so they can fulfill their purpose in, in the world. I think there's something to that. You know, we talked about digging wells on Ash Wednesday. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please listen to that podcast about how important it is that we dig down deep and connect with the Holy Spirit. And wells, of course, are, are places where a community gathers around the life-giving water. Obviously, we've all been thinking a lot about Ukraine and um, for some reason, I've been thinking a ton about it. And then Sandy reminded me that in 82, when we were in the Soviet Union, we spent almost all our time in Ukraine. We didn't really travel anywhere else. And uh, towards the end of our trip, we were in a mall. And this man just came out of the shadows. And he came up to us. And he just stood there. And it had been kind of an odd summer with different interactions with the police. And we, we didn't know. And then in a moment, he didn't speak any English, we didn't speak any Ukrainian. In a moment, we, we knew he was a believer and he was asking us to his house church. I can't explain it. I don't know how it happened. And so we were 20 and we just went. <laughs> and so, so we spent the evening with his family and, and I believe several others, I can't remember how many were there, speaking no English <laughs> and sharing in church for three hours. It was just this most remarkable experience. And I thought of that today because I was taking a walk and I was thinking, what, what is the DNA of the church? When you boil it all down, you know, if you have to go through a plague or a war or a famine or an economic crisis, what's kind of the irreducible, essential essence of the church? And I think it's what happened on that guy's flat. That, that was how believers under communism continued to, uh, to be Christian. Th that small group of people that love you and know you and you know them and you love them that yes is connected to a broader body that's very important and the mission is very important but I think that's the irreducible Minimum is that small connection of people you do life with. Um, and when I, when I think about the difference between old, co old covenant prophecy and new covenant prophecy, that's really important because in Paul's discussion of this gift in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the setting is a small group of believers in a house. It's not Jeremiah coming in and thundering away uh, words that become scripture. It's not, that's not what's happening here. It's people that know each other and love each other that are speaking deeply and powerfully into one another's lives. In my experience, that's really the only safe place for any kind of gift like this to, to function. 
And, and as we, you know, I was thinking of this too, I took a course on revival in seminary and there's kind of two models. One is a top-down model. How, do you, how does revival and renewal happen in the church? Well, you have a great revivalist who comes in and preaches and then revival breaks out everywhere. There's another model, and I, I tend to think this is more historically accurate, that says, no, actually, even in those circumstances, what happened first is small clusters of believers got together and started to love each other and care for each other and pray and renewal grew out of those small pockets. So I think the pastor's observation is right. Community, the reforming of community precedes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so I just ask, do you have that? Um, did, or at least do you have the hope of that? And if you don't, you know, talk to me, talk to Robert Hodge, he's over our small groups. If you don't even need, it might be as simple as just calling two other people and saying, you know, just during Lent on Thursday nights, could we just get together and pray and look at the word and talk? You know, somebody shared with me recently, we don't know how to do inconvenience very well as American Christians, and community is inconvenient. We sacrifice community for convenience. Well, Ezekiel's vision here, I think, gives us a couple insights into how prophecy functions and how it might work for us. And again, the broader idea here is that the prophetic gift, when God gives a word to somebody and they bring it into the dryness of our lives, can lead to awakening and renewal and the fulfilling of our mission in the world. Let me quickly make three observations. Uh, God initiates prophecy. Ezekiel doesn't wake up and think, you know, it's Tuesday. That's right. I need to give a prophetic word today. Now, the hand of the Lord comes upon him. They come from God. Um, and as we think about this, I want us to think about this very modestly and humbly and in small ways. I'm not talking about real big flashy stuff. This past week, I was with someone where you know, I asked them permission to share this. And my friend was describing a desire for a, a richer contemplative prayer life uh, that somehow was connected to, to social work. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Call the Midwives, which to me is a great show about urban monasticism. If you ever wonder what I mean when I say urban monasticism, watch Call the Midwife. This monastic community that's rich in prayer and in service in the world. And this woman is being called to some kind of a, a calling like that, but she can't figure out because it's very countercultural. And, and as she was talking, I kept hearing this word, this phrase, little flower, little flower, little flower, little flower. And I just said, hey, you know, as we're talking here, does the phrase little flower mean anything to you? And she kind of became a little undone. And she said, when I was in college, I was in a prayer group and uh, someone prayed over me, uh, I see you in a field of wildflowers with little wildflowers in your hair. And then the person shared some words about how that should lead to her life or might lead to her life for others. And then we both remembered that little flower is the nickname of St. Teresa of Lisieux. And it seemed like the Holy Spirit, the prophetic spirit was saying, you know, as you try to sort out this calling, Go read a bit about Teresa of Lisieux. 
And forgive my French pronunciation. And she texted me later about how this word had renewed her. I was encouraged, she said, by the fact that I'm seen and known by God and that he cares about the details of my life. Even things that happened long ago, it felt like a renewal and a reminder of God's calling on my life. So God initiates prophecy. Um, and, and, and I just encourage us, if we're going to walk in this at all, let's do so modestly. Uh, I, I want to just, just offer that there's three kinds of prophecy we probably ought to avoid. I'm not saying God can't do this, but I'm just saying in our community, let, let's not start here. Let's just kind of focus on the encouragement that you see in 1 Corinthians 14.3. The first kind is directive prophecy. Hey, I think the Lord thinks you should move, or, or the worse is the Lord told me you're supposed to marry me. That's not a, that, that's usually not a, some of the ladies have had that one. You know, and, and usually the answer is funny, he didn't tell me, <laughs> you know. So don't do that. Predictive prophecy, God can do that. Don't do it here. <laughs> you, know, it, it, you know, if God shows you who's going to be the next president, fine, that doesn't help us. And then corrective prophecy, Frank, the Lord told me that you're just really an, an idiot and you need to change. No, that doesn't help. Don't, don't do that either. So let's focus on the encouragement. Second observation, prophecy breathes the new life of the Spirit into dry bones. Six times this Hebrew word breath is, is used. It's ruach. In the Hebrew, it's the same word as spirit. And there's this idea that the, the, the prophetic word speaking in is like breathing life and reanimating the person. Uh, you see this in the New Testament, uh, John 20, 22, Jesus newly resurrected is meeting with the disciples and we read, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul calls the gift of prophecy a manifestation of the Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 20, Paul says, if we despise prophecy, we quench the spirit. So there's something about the prophetic word that breathes, reanimates, awakens the spirit in our life. And then lastly, prophecy helps us discern and fulfill God's purpose for our life. Uh, that's, that's what's so important about this. This isn't kind of magic tricks, or wouldn't that be cool, or even, boy, I felt all warm and fuzzy when you did that. No, remember, we're people on a mission. We, we're servants of the Most High God. And, and, and so what happens here is Israel is way off mission. Their dreams have been wrecked. They're not in any sense really focusing on what God has called them to do in the world. And so God sends a prophet to share a word to align them of his, with his purpose, to remind them of his purpose. At this point, they had forgotten his purpose. And so prophecy is always missional. It's always related to our work in the world, to clarifying, helping us understand where we fit. When I was writing my doctoral dissertation, I spent two weeks in um, Lee College in Cleveland researching Pentecostalism. They have a lovely library there, and I just was there from the time it opened to the time it closed. And I also attended Pentecostal worship services and interviewed pastors and students and professors. And one professor had a reputation as a prophet. 
And at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. I was still not sure whether or not I believed in the gift. Um, and well, I met him. He had a PhD from Vanderbilt. He taught Old Testament. And when I came into his office, I don't know what I was expecting, but he was translating the book of Job. Um, and we spoke at length. And at the end of an hour, uh, I said, hey, you know, I, I, I just sense something might be going on here today. Do you have anything for me? And he closed his eyes. He got real quiet. And about five minutes later, he said, um, bridge builder. You're a bridge builder. Be a bridge builder. And that was in uh, January of 1996. And I have thought about that word uh, many, many times as I try to discern God's call on my life. That is one of the functions of the prophetic word. It, it helps us clarify uh, what God is calling us to do. So God could have revived his people without Ezekiel, but he chooses to renew his spiritually dry people through a prophetic word. May he do the same for us today, especially in those little intimate places where we are known and known. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I think it was two years ago next week that I sent out a little email saying, hey, something's come up and we'll probably be off for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and Lord, you know, it's been a long two years. Um, we'd love you to renew us. We'd love you to breathe on the dry bones of our hearts, our relationships so that we could be a people of mission, that we could listen and learn about our neighborhood and serve it well. Please renew us this Lent. We ask this in your name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts.